When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report, here on Monday, January 28th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts on Spotify, or really wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437 this week saints fans are still salty mariano rivera becomes the first unanimous selection to the baseball hall of fame we'll recap super bowl 53 and pick a winner between the pats and the rams check your sources we're off now what would be the odds that that was happening again that that was a new report was that a new report or an old report that's what i'm asking is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. I guess if you're a fan of the Pro Bowl, I am not. So I'm not as excited about the National Football League this past week because there was a lot of what could have been and then this soggy Pro Bowl not the best lead into what will be Super Bowl week, though that always gets exciting, especially as the week unfolds. Unfortunately, in the NFL this past week, still focused on the non-call in the New Orleans Saints-Los Angeles Rams game. Saints fans taking this to court. Saints fans taking looks at the backgrounds of the officials in the game closest to the non-call, seeing that they all have some sort of ties to California. And by that note and notion, clearly they waited until that moment in the game to use their biases in the favor of the Rams. It's been getting pretty ridiculous. And I'm not sure why it has continued to this length. For those of you that missed it last week on New Report, Old Report, Al got a little fiery in regards to this Sean Payton fiasco, his decision to throw it on first down, and what was the loss for the Saints. Not so much them being disappointed on the P.I. call, or the non-call, that is. Be more disappointed on your head coach. Maybe I'll get you a little fired up now and start us off with that, Al. I just... it, it it boggles the mind that this is still out there and that this guy basically is, is the one who is responsible for all of us. If he doesn't coach the game in an asinine fashion at the end of the game, if you simply do what you're supposed to do, you kick the field goal with 40, 45 seconds to go and it's up to your defense to stop, but not, not the genius. And then to make matters worse, that insult to injury. Cause remember, Folks, his team did have the lead. You make it sound like you know they took the points on. It make it sound like they went up there and they put points on the board for the Rams and took points off the board for the Saints. You had the lead. 
He still took the lead despite all this. Despite this horrendous call, bad call, absolutely. A bad call that never would have happened if your coach did what he was supposed to do. And if I was a Saints fan, I would have gone ballistic after during that game on that first down flight where he puts the balls in true, ball in, in true, true, true Priest's hands to throw that little uh, middle screen, which he dumped into the ground. Well, you want to know something? That's why you don't throw the ball there. Because when you throw the ball, three things can happen. Two of them are bad. One's incomplete, one's intercepted. If you run the ball there, you don't have to worry about that. But not the genius. Uh-uh. And then don't stand up there all right, and take the blame. Don't take the heat. Don't say we got beat by a better team. Don't say that there were plays that could have gone both ways. Don't say that there's always bad calls. One call is not outcome determined. No, no. Stand up there. First words out of your mouth and say, I spoke to the league office. They blew the call. Well, here's the deal, genius. All of America watched the game. You blew the call. You blew the first down play. You would have run it once, run it twice, and who knows, maybe you score a testament to get a first down. And then you kicked it, but not you. Uh Uh-uh. You're too smart for us. So you're home. So blame it on somebody else. Look in the mirror. Saints fans, shut up and just please go away. Go away. This is why I didn't want the Saints to win the game. This is why I didn't want the Saints to go to the Super Bowl. This is why I hate that freaking building. Because it's just a noise machine. And all they do is bitch. They try and have an impact on the game by never shutting up, by piping sound in there. They had their heads handed to them by a better team, by a better quarterback, and by a better coach. And now they're exactly where they should be. Home. Let's get to the real game with the two best teams. I've had it with Sean Payton. I've had it with New Orleans. I've had it with the the fans. I've had it with this notion that let's sue. Okay, everybody's out to get us. I I mean, are you kidding me? Do Do we remember the Pittsburgh game? You have home field advantage because of a phantom interference call. Against the Steelers. Are the Steelers bitching left and right about the fact that they didn't make the playoffs because of that call? Are they? Of course not. Who bitches? Sean Payton and the Saints. Shut up and just go away. And the, and the latest rumblings from Adam Schefter today, uh, being Sunday, some whispers amongst league officials and people in front offices that maybe they need to look into the officiating crews before games because some of the crew on that game have Southern California ties in some way, shape, or form, as in they either live around there. One of the refs getting heckled when he was doing a collegiate game a couple days afterward. People knew it was him asking him if it was a pass interference call. Every fan base in America can pinpoint several instances throughout their fandom when calls have not gone their way, when calls have been blown, when things didn't go right for them, that's part of sports. You move on, you be, you be disgruntled about it, probably for the rest of your fandom. I mean, if you get together with your fellow fans, there's definitely plays you all can come to a consensus on over a couple beers and say, hey, remember when X, Y, and Z happened, how awful that was, we lost the game. Nobody it, it, knows it's a better than me. It's a laughing Nobody, 1985 World Series, Don Denkinger blew the call at first base. Cardinals probably win the World Series. You know, in that game six, but you know, such as life it was a bad call. There was no replay. So be it. You know, here's what I don't understand. These games are played by humans. They're officiated by humans. Why have they got to be officiated perfectly? Tom Brady made an awful throw in the first half of, of 
the championship game that resulted a terrible decision that resulted in an interception mistake you never imagined. So even the greatest, so he is labeled, of all time makes mistakes. The interception after he supposedly didn't touch the punt, one off of Julian Edelman's hands on a ball that could have been caught. The interception that wasn't because of D Ford being offsides was a questionable throw that Gronk got both hands on, deflected up in the air. Those are mistakes. Everybody makes them. Why aren't officials, as much as I despise officials, why aren't they entitled to be human? Why have we got to correct everything? So everything, the players aren't perfect. The games aren't perfect. Why don't we correct them? Why don't we want a perfect game every time guys go out? Because you can't have that. Because they're human beings. You know, we've got to have every minute detail subject to replay. Let's replay every call. Well, then why do we have to give us five hours? How about you just play? Remember how much fun it was when you were a kid and you just played? How about we let the players just play and the officials just officiate? Better officials, you get to 50, MLB, NFL, NBA, get out. You don't get to keep the job like a pope or Supreme Court justice. You get to 50, you're out. Got to be younger guys. Got to be in better shape. Got to have better eyes. I have to wear glasses now when I read. I'm 60. I didn't have to use that to do that. But these guys, they, they wear glasses. They wear contacts. I, I, don't want a, I don't want a high school principal chasing a 9-200 guy down the sidelines to see the state bounce. It's not his fault. He's doing the best he can. But his best isn't good enough. So let's get better. Let's make the officials better in all three of the sports. Hockey, I got no qualms because I can't skate. What they do is off the charts. All right. But the three major sports get better, get younger, get in shape and get better. Train them better, school them better, work them better, make them better. All this money you're making, these billions and billions of dollars in these three major sports. You're going to tell me we got to have guys that are 60 years old doing games. We got to have a 300 pound guy behind the plate. We got to have the hideous Worst umpire in, in, in the history of the sport all right, doing a World Series. And you know what I'm talking about? All right? He's no angel. What's he doing back there? How does he even get an assignment? And then he's, and then he's suing Joe Torrey. I mean, you got to be begging me. Enough of these guys. You get the job. You work hard at it. You work to improve at it. It's your full-time job. And when you hit 50, you're out. Younger guys, better shape, better officials, less Replay. Less is more. Less stoppages. No more five-minute stoppages at the NBA. Three guys looking at the monitor. We got to stop it and see. He's a foot behind the three-point line. How many guys does it take to figure that out? We got to go to New York. We got to look at this angle. We got to look at that. Enough already. I saw on TV for regulation that he was a foot behind the line. How does it take 10 minutes to figure that out? Let's go. Let's go. These guys got to be stars now. Get me on camera. The best officials are the ones we don't talk about. The less we talk about them, the better the job they do. Make them better. That's my solution. I will say, too, as much as we clamor for replay under two minutes or for last plays of game or when things are going to be the deciding factor, what we do miss and have missed now is that euphoria of a winning team hitting the game-winning shot 
or hitting the walk-off home run or catching the touchdown pass to win the game with no time left. Because now, instead of immediately celebrating of having the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, you're looking to the officials. You're looking looking for the flag. You're waiting for the umpires to come out of the dugout to go to replay review. So you're not getting the... Look at the manager. Exactly. The the manager's got to look at his guy in the runway. You're waiting for the, are they going to challenge and not the, let's run onto the court and celebrate this, this victory. You know, the guy's running around with Hank Aaron after his home run. God forbid something happens, it goes foul or whatever the case may be. There's fans on the field. Oops, sorry. We're calling it back. Instant replay proved this way. Granted, there's a great argument for it's better to get the car right. And I get that. But there are times where it's unfortunate that you might miss the pureness of that euphoria that we used to get in sports where you didn't have to worry about the, oh, let's see if there's 0.2 seconds on the clock. Let's see if there was a holding 60 yards back from where the play started. Let's make sure it was fair or foul. I mean, there's memories that fans are going to have for a lifetime of immediately after that happened and not, well, then we went to replay review for seven minutes. They realized it was fan interference on the home run. The gentleman was awarded second base. We had to wait for the firework smoke to clear in the outfield because they shot that off too early before we knew the game was over. 35 minutes later, the next guy up grounded out to third. We went to extras and lost. (laughs) Replay has become a beast. It's become the just too much of what all of the games are about. It's become the, the... Guy sliding into second base, all right, uh, you know, who goes comes up off the bag by you know, a tenth of an inch. Let's call him out. That's not what we play is for. That's not what it was for. It's, it's not to review every catch right, to see if the, the point of the ball you know hit the ground. What was just play? Just play. It's so much more fun when you just play. It's as simple as that. Let the guys play the games and let the chips fall where they may. There's going to be a bad call now and again. Live with it and move on to the next play. We don't have to have a 10-minute stoppage every time there is a questionable call. Let's just go. Makes the game faster, quicker, better. You know, better to watch, better when you're, when you're at home, better to watch when you're there much better flow these these incessant stoppages that break momentum in every game that make guys stand out on the field your lineman got to stand there okay your pitcher's got to stand on the mound guys got to stand at the foul let's move it along these are sports that are supposed to move it's not supposed to be about the officials that's supposed to be about the calls it's supposed to be about the players and the games let's play them I will say I wouldn't hate if the National Football League tweaked it where there's some sort of challenge you can throw under two minutes that isn't the booth review for an instance like that. But 
sort of like where the camera would be in a sense. Like obviously that pass interference is the main play. For that, I don't want them challenging the line of scrimmage that there might have also been a hold or a hands to the face or something. Oh, uh, what a night. That'll kill us. Make the, make the entire play review. It would kill oh. us. It's, it's the where the play is in a sense, if that makes sense. So if somebody's running to the left, you're not going to call the hold on the receiver that lined up to the right who's not going to be in the play at all and, and happen to maybe hold on too long to the cornerback to throw him off. Don't, don't do that to us. I could swallow it. I don't know if they're going to go that far. I don't know if they're going to go even farther than that where the people are talking about let's challenge every play for the entire game. I mean, thank, thank well, God for well, Red Zone. Well, you you remember, would never well, be able to watch well, a game. Remember, you're not, you're not going to have – you're still only going to have two or three challenges. So, you know, it's just a question you're going to have to use it more judiciously. Right, right. Because well, you're going to need to challenge anything and everything, which I don't agree with because pass interference is just, you know, it's so subjective. It's an, That's why, I, I, as I said, I firmly believe the solution to bad game-breaking pass interference calls is you simply go to the college rule. You can't have... 50 and 60 yard penalties, you know, that are bad calls that basically give teams touchdowns. Just can't happen. Can't happen. And that's why, you know, does anybody complain about the college rule? Nobody complains about the college rule. Nobody. Nobody. They live with it. It's fine. Whatever the interference is, you know, it's a spot follow 15 yards. You know, if it's a spots inside, that's where it goes. More than 15, it goes to the, you know, more than 15 yards goes to 15 pretty simple and nobody seems to complain about it first on my list makes makes for a better game it does even even if it's called properly again you're it's the only sport where you're assuming something is going to happen it's the only call where you are assuming that a play is going to be completed other than goaltending in basketball all right because you're assuming you're giving the credit because you're stopping the ball from possibly going in. But in this scenario, you're assuming, regardless of where the ball is, other than uncatchable, that it's going to be caught, inbounds, and the play is going to be completed. You know, it's hard to complete a long pass, you know, with a defender there. That's not, those are never easy catches. If the guy's wide open. Well, that means there's nobody there to interfere with. Him. If there's interference. Well, that means there's somebody there. So it's a hard catch, isn't it? You're assuming he's going to make it. There's no interference. That's a huge assumption. Never could figure it out. Never will. Got to change. Yeah. Got to go to the college rule. I agree. And I have a feeling this won't be the last. We're talking about penalties and switching them and the like, knowing the National Football League, either before the season or during it, this issue will come up again and again, and we'll see what ends up getting decided. And what were your thoughts on the fine and the helmet to helmet? Uh, I, the, 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 the $27,000 amount, the amounts always for me, how, how they come up with the amount. They're not 20, not 25, not the 27. I, I don't know if it's, you know, we took 54 and divided by two. <laughs> how, how did we get to 27,000? But what were your thoughts on the severity of the fine for the, and, and you'll look, Full speed, I didn't think it was helmet to helmet. And, you know, you watch it slow down. It obviously was, but I didn't think it was certainly blatant. I didn't think it was, you know, intentional. I think it just happened to be that way. But what were your thoughts on that call, that decision, that fun? I'd say the money aspect was a makeup call. 
like we're going to make this a little bit higher so you guys think we're real serious about the fact we might have missed it and it was missed on the biggest play of the game. For those fines that happen when they're not called on the field, I have no idea how they're able to do that. Like it seems like a double jeopardy type scenario. Like you got away with it on the field. All of a sudden you're going to get in trouble for it days afterward and you can't argue your case. Oh, you can appeal it, but that's never going to get you anywhere. I could understand if it was something that happens on the field, a flag is thrown, obviously you're going to get fined. How you're able to get fined thousands upon thousands of dollars, sometimes like the game's paycheck for a helmet-to-helmet that you didn't know was one until days later when you get something in the mail, it still baffles me in a sense that they're able to do that. There are times, most of the times, where it was helmet-to-helmet. But if it's not called in the game, if you're not told about it at the game, I don't know how you get fined for that. It's, it's just weird to me that that's the rule in place, and we'll see it on, like, the bottom scroll on a sports station. So-and-so was fined for his helmet-to-helmet hit against such-and-such. And then you're trying to think, like, well, when, when did that happen? What play was that? Oh, it was the running back that did it. That's interesting. Well, what? It's, it's strange. I don't know how you feel about it, but it, to me, it's if you don't catch it on the field, if it's not something that is immediately caught, like if someone's shooting a three-pointer and they count it as a two, and then during the game, the extra point is just added like on the side, and then the score table will be like, yeah, we, we looked at it during the timeout, and it was a three, not a two, so we awarded the team such and such a point. Maybe like four plays in, oh, we just checked the replay, it was helmet to helmet, that player's going to get fined. I don't know how they can just wait like a week and decide, you know what, there's been enough public outcry from this on social media, we're going to find the guy. And depending on how many hashtags there are, we'll find him more. It's strange to me. It just, like I said, I just don't understand the concept of waiting that long and how they come up with, the, with that dollar figure. Because that doesn't doesn't make sense. I, I understand it has to be reviewed. I understand it has to go probably through the uh, uh, the union scenario. But how they arrive at a number like that is what I find the most intriguing of the of the entire thing. But the the, the notion that they didn't call it on the field versus I- imposing it, I have a big problem with because you know they are looking to punish what he did and it was deserving the punishment even though i don't think it was intentional um what is going to be very intriguing is when we have the state of the uh, of the league uh discussion from the commissioner i should say his, his speech so to speak from the commissioner and if he is questioned uh during after that uh that state of the of the, of the league speech uh, and if he is permitted if he takes questions and they're permitted to go into the officiating scenario and then, you know, I don't even want to get into this notion of uh, the legitimacy of the officials the fairness of the officials the objectivity of the officials I, I believe uh, the Rams were winless with this referee doing their games I think they were 0-8 uh, beforehand so uh, it's not like they've uh, they've had a great run uh, with this guy uh, running the show, uh, but I, we're going to see something. 
I'm not sure what, uh, whether it's, we talked about this last week. I don't want more replay. I don't want more replay. You want to give an additional challenge? I can live with that. Um, but I don't want more replay. It just, to me, making more things reviewable, just as I said before, it's going to slow the game down even more than it is now. Take so much more of the momentum away. And it's a bad watch. It really is. It, yeah, it, but we, bad, we get more of those 30-second advertisements that they put on the left-hand side of the screen while they're at the at the camera doing the review. Those are great, those 30-second. Oh, we'll go to this real quick while we're on the review. Oh, good, another commercial. At least you're giving a split screen for it. You know, and it, it just... It, it's, it's of too much stuff. It, it's of too many things that I can do without. You know, that... that that point of the ball touching the ground a little bit. Uh, you know, if, if the knee is up or down by a millionth of an inch, uh, you know, it, it just, let, let, let's just go. Let's just go. And, and now these guys are, are being taught to let plays go, right? which isn't necessarily the way, and, and they're letting moronic things go. Right? You know, where, where a ball is clearly incomplete and the call on the field is, or, the call in the field is a catch and a fumble. Well, it's not even close. But, you know, because it would have resulted in a turnover. Now, obviously, it's reviewable. But, you know, they're letting things go that they shouldn't because they're obvious calls. And so they're, they're even being told to referee the game differently, which I think has a negative impact on the game as well. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Speaking of State of the Unions and transitioning into a game that's going to be played and not one that was. Only a week away. That's right. The New England Patriots. We got through this week pretty quickly, I thought. It did. It did. Aside from the, the Saints what could have and what should have. We now can focus on the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams in Super Bowl 53, and both teams held their pep rallies. The New England Patriots held their typical going-away party at Gillette, packed the place, which is... It's interesting that that happened because there are some sports cities that might get a little old hat about their franchises and not sell out the place like okay another one of these we're sending our team off to the Super Bowl I got things to do I'm gonna work on the yard it's a nice day pack the place Tom Brady gets up to the microphone gives his little hurrah hurrah and ends it with getting the crowd to chant we're still here as I mentioned to you last week the New England Patriots a preseason favorite to get to the Super Bowl picked by, I'd say, the majority of most sports outlets as a Super Bowl favorite, or at least a championship game favorite. For whatever reason, they've tried to rewrite this history for their new mantra of no one expected us to be at this point. Tom Brady is too old. Bill Belichick is over the hill. He doesn't have any players. The list goes on for their rallying cries. I'm still not sure who's been giving these rallying cries, especially once they got back into the postseason. The division, to me, was never in doubt for the New England Patriots. 
which means they're into the playoffs, which means there's no doubt that they can get back to the Super Bowl. I don't know what island these people are on screaming to the mountains that the Patriots were not going to be successful this season. I, I don't, I mean, what was it, two years ago? We got that hit piece when Garoppolo went to the 49ers. This is the end of the dynasty. The whispers behind the scenes. Belichick and Brady hate each other. This is the end. It's just this, this song that never ends, to quote Lamb Chop. It's something that we hear every year, and it's something that still hasn't come to fruition. Just be quiet until the final whistle blows and everyone involved finally says, I'm out. Because today, when Tom Brady was interviewed, is this going to be your last game after the Super Bowl? What percentage chance do you give for this being your last game in the National Football League? He smiled and said, zero. Folks, this ain't over. And this might keep continuing after Sunday, and we'll get to our predictions and such. But what do you make of this we're still here mantra that they're giving themselves? Yeah, no shit, you're still here. When, when did this happen that you left? I mean, good for you for trying to get a rallying cry going and, and keep everybody motivated. To me, it's like, yeah, we get it. Like, have more of a do your job instead of a we're still here to me. That's the way I'm looking at it. Well, they've got to do something to get people pumped up for this game, something to get... Uh, everybody excited about because it's basically become for this franchise, you know, same old, same old. I mean, you know, they are here again. Uh, they are trying to win their sixth again uh, and tie the Steelers become only the second team to win six. And the question is, are they going to be able to do it? So in the meantime, let's see if we can get this little thing rolling to make everybody think that it's such a surprise that we're here. Why it's such a surprise, I don't know, because they had to finally... Now, look, I, I thought Kansas City was going to beat them. Absolutely. Because uh, they haven't been a very good road team in the postseason, and they should have lost. And yes, you are still here. You're still here thanks to D. Ford, absolutely, who screwed up. Uh, they probably were the better team but they were in a position to lose the game. I wonder how D's week was this week. <laughs> and, and they should have lost the game. And if not for D4 lining up outside, they would have lost the game. But they are still here because they're one of the two or three best teams in the AFC. They're incredibly well coached. They have terrific experience and are excellent in big games, which they proved again. I mean, look... Anybody who thought for a second that the Chargers were going to go there and win is nuts. Uh, th that was the lock of the century. We knew that one, and anybody who didn't know that one is a moron. I don't want to sound like I'm some soothsayer, but even I got that one right. That's how easy that was. I thought they would not go to the Super Bowl because they had to go on the road, and they're not that good a road playoff game. And so many years they have gone where the entire AFC went through their building and they managed to pull it off to their credit. However, don't make it sound like this is, you know, I, I, I mean, Coach V's NC State team. 
Don't make it sound like this is Joe Namath's Jets 18-point underdogs. All right? Don't make it sound like, you know, it's Villanova or Georgetown. You have now been to three straight Super Bowls. All right? uh, only one of three teams ever to do that, you know, along with the 72-3-4 Dolphins and, of course, the four-time loser Bills. But the point is, you were the pick in the AFC when the season started. You were the consensus pick. So you're still there, yeah, and pretty much all of us expected you to be there. So don't make it sound like, you know, you're the Cinderella story place, okay? Uh, you're going back for the, uh, oh, God, overall, how many times is this for the franchise? This, this, nine is, this is them. nine for them. I nine don't, I don't for, know the them, for the number. 11 overall. Sure. One with Parcells and one with Ray right. Barry. So 11 overall. So, again, we're not talking about you know, a, a, a new trip for them. But they've got to do that to get you know, their crowd pumped up. I don't think they need to get themselves pumped up. But, you know, you got to try and figure out something, uh, something new, something innovative. So that's what they go with. Bottom line is they're going to play a team that's – one of the two or three best teams in the league all year long. And I think this has a chance to be a terrific game. Um, I love the matchup uh, of what the Patriots have tried to do in their two games so far against what the Rams strength is uh, now that Sue is playing better, which are those two, one all world tackle and, and Sue who used to be and is now playing better. Uh, the strength of their defense. So I'm, I'm curious to see if they're still going to try and run the ball uh, the way they've done it so successfully against, success, successfully against uh, the Chargers and Kansas City. I don't think they will. I think they have to throw it a lot more. And you know, the Rams secondary is back and healthy. So you know, to me, the question is going to be really what it always comes down to when you play the Patriots from a defensive standpoint. It always winds up being the same thing, and you know what it is. It's always about putting pressure on Tom Brady from the middle and either knocking him down, making him change his arm angle, making him throw into traffic, making him not have a place to step up to. When you do that, you usually beat him. So to me, this game is going to be at the, about the middle of that Ram line, Aaron Donald and, uh, and, and, and a boy named Sue. And if they do what continue to do what they've been doing, uh, I, I like the Rams to win this game. Look, thing, goofy things can happen. Somebody turns it over six times. Barring the unexpected, you know, Buffalo Bill horror show, you know, against the Cowboys with nine turnovers. You know, in a normal game, I like the Rams to win the game. A lot of interesting parallels to to Super Bowl 36 when a second-year Tom Brady slayed the greatest show on turf. Kurt Warner got his first, went on to win a couple more, If in case people forget. They're still here, folks, in case people forget. It's they're, still here, the Rams, they're still here, the Rams are back. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true, too. And it's interesting in the sense that the Patriots have like tried to switch the underdog narrative to them because the underdog narrative is this Sean McVay, Jared Goff team. Sean McVay, fresh 33, Jared Goff, fresh in the league pretty much. 
we'll, we'll forget the years with uh, Jeff Fisher at the helm and, and consider him, you know, kind of close to that sophomore, junior year in the league. That's the storyline if you want to say there's an underdog or there's a team that shouldn't be here. And honestly, most of the teams in the National Football League squaring up against the Patriots in a Super Bowl would probably be viewed at that, even at that stage of the New England Patriots. And this is a rare franchise that has been waiting for this day to come because, you know, you was a young Turk, I'm sure know, that the Rams firmly believe that they got that Super Bowl stolen from them. Uh, all you have to do is listen to Marshall Falk, uh, who will tell you that the Patriots seem to know every play that was coming in the first half. Uh, back in the day of uh, sneaking in and filming uh, supposedly the uh, the Rams' practices and their plays, etc. And Marshall Falk swears that uh, you know the Patriots had an advantage and there's no way they would have beaten them that day had it not been uh, for them seemingly knowing every play that was coming uh, before they ran it. And... Um, Look, Marshall Falk was a hell of a player, a Hall of Famer. And that Ram team had not been stopped all season long. And suddenly they ran into a brick wall. Everything they tried to do, if you go back and watch that game, uh, it looked like the Patriots knew what was coming. Uh, to their credit, they played terrific. Uh, Rams came back. Uh, and Brady had the drive at the end when we all thought, uh, at least John Madden thought they were just going to, send it in overtime, uh, but they had a couple big completions. And, uh, of course, old folks himself, Adam Benetieri, who's now, I think, 97 uh, and signed another one-year deal uh, with the Colts, you know, kicks the game-winning field goal, and Tom Brady is born. But the, uh, the long time of coming is here for the Rams, and they have a chance to exact revenge that they've, they've been waiting for uh, for nearly two decades. So that throws another twist into it. And uh, as I said, I think it has the makings of being an excellent game because of uh, the matchup on the lines. Um, we've got interesting receivers. We've got a running back who, by all accounts, has been the best all-around running back in the league with you know, the possible exception of uh, maybe you want to say uh, Elliott but you know, certainly a better all-around receiver than Elliott's been. And who was just, except for a six-yard touchdown run, totally non-existent in New Orleans. We don't know why. If it was because he was hurt, he said he wasn't hurt. Now he said, I, was play I played lousy. They got my back. Well, he's got two weeks to rest. So from an offensive point of view, I believe for the Rams, the key to this game is Todd Gurley. As Todd Gurley goes, so go the Rams. When he has good games, they don't lose. So, to me, that's a huge determining factor in who's going to win this game. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I will say for my key, it'll be the defense. It'll be the defense that... All things considered, you could argue, 
mostly won that first Super Bowl for the New England Patriots against those Rams just because of them being able to hold that offense in check until the end. Granted, Brady had that last drive, yes, but as we know, not that they shouldn't have been prepared for Tom Brady. He had been in the league for a couple seasons, and he had the whole year before him, but when you get into those, everybody's running around with their chicken with their head cut off, couple plays here and there in a prevent defense or whatever you're trying to do before you know it you're in field goal range and the game changes on a dime with that I would agree with you that it's the Sue it's the Donald it's getting to Brady and trying to make sure he can't step up in the pocket and control what he wants to do in the passing game I watched firsthand that happened when the Denver Broncos did it three years back knocking him down, forcing him into throws he doesn't want to make or he's not ready to make or he has to get rid of too early. He already releases it quickly. If you have to make him release it even quicker, I mean, that's, a, that's probably the best formula you're going to get. I think it's going to be that Rams defense because to me, I haven't seen enough from Jared Goff yet to have full confidence in him like I would ball in hand, Tom Brady, two minutes to go, Super Bowl, let's go. I think a lot of Jared Goff and a lot of the Rams offense is a lot of Sean McVay being able to use smoke and mirrors to hide the flaws of his offense and to bring to the forefront what works best, what his players do best, what his quarterback can do best, and it's worked for them. I can't take anything away from what he's done as a coach because he knows what works for them. He's able to put in great game plans and able to make some players that you think wouldn't be able to do stuff look phenomenal. You said it right, though. If Todd Gurley can't run the football like he has all this season and he runs into whatever problems he had last time two weeks ago, if the receiving core isn't doing their thing and you have to rely on Jared Goff, who, God forbid, has the yips in the first half or so, that defense is going to be what's going to have to propel you in a game like that. So you don't have to rely on your young quarterback's arm. You can say, you know what? We'll keep the offense out there. Let them do their thing. Try to keep Tom Brady off the field, obviously. But if he's back on the field, we'll, we'll get it. To me, Here's the thing. Go ahead. To me, <laughs> I don't see it happening. Because that means you're going to ask Bill Belichick, you're in check. What are you going to do to get out of it? There's nobody better of getting out of a check and switching into a checkmate faster than Bill Belichick. Here's the thing that I can't get away from in terms of golf. He could not possibly play in a more difficult environment than he just played in. And he pulled a rabbit out of the hat. That is true. They were down 13 nothing, and they were in dire straits. They were in huge, huge trouble. A fake punt turns their game around the same way it did the prior week for the Saints. And then lo and behold, he deals with the crowd. He deals with the fact that his teammates can't hear anything. He's got McVeigh in his ear. He gets that. Gets up to the line, gets guys organized. He doesn't lose his cool, and he makes great throws in big spots in another team's building. I think what I saw from him in that game is going to bode very well 
for this game. I don't think the moment is going to be too big for him because I think he's already dealt with the most difficult thing he's going to deal with in terms of the environment. Football team is a football team. You know, game planning, strategy, being ready for what they have to throw at you. All right? Obviously, that's going to be very difficult with the Belichick defense and with the Belichick play design uh, from their defensive standpoint you know, and what they have game planned. But I still believe he's overcome the most difficult situation that he had to overcome in this postseason. Very, very, very excited for this head coaching battle, Bill Belichick and Sean McVay. I haven't heard them say this exactly. I'm sure they will during Radio Row, but I'm sure they both have a ton of respect for each other, and especially getting that as a young guy from Bill Belichick is something that's lauded, obviously. How they're going to ping-pong across from each other Somebody throws a defense. What are you going to do on the offensive side? I think in the first half we're going to see a couple trick plays. We know New England's going to have a couple. They always pull oh, you know, a couple you know, out of the Super Bowl. You, you know Edelman's going to be involved in a exactly. trick play in some fashion. Very excited for that. Can't wait to see what they're going to try to do to catch the other team off guard. I'm going to say Los Angeles 20, New England 31. Six for the GOAT. And another week, another year of, there they are. They're still here, Al. They're still here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a final score of, uh, I'm going to go, Greg the Leg is going to be involved. And I'm going to go, I haven't thought of a final score yet, but I'll give you a final score. I'm going to give you Rams, 27, Pats, I'm going to give them uh, 27-21. 27-21 uh, Rams. It's not bad. Uh, now, that, that's probably – somebody's always got a field goal. So I probably should go with 27-24, but I'm going with 27-21. Well, here's the that's problem. My, that's, my, that's my first pick, so I'm, I'm sticking with it. This is the problem for the listeners. Now Now you don't know who to, who to hedge, who to fade, because we've given you two different things here. So sorry for that. Well, that's, that's what makes the new report the old report great, <laughs> is we're going to make you think. you got to work for it. We can't make it easy for you and both go the same way. Then you just go opposite from us, and you're an automatic winner. You got to figure out which one of these guys do I think is more off base. That's the hard part. 929-274-3437. Remember this part of the show. Text us or leave a voicemail for next week. We will be recording. We'll see. It'll be after the game, so we'll have thoughts on it either Monday night or after the game Sunday if one of us is sober. He's the I golf. Won't, I won't tell you. Who. I'm the Brady. He's the McVay. I'm the Belichick. Wow. Anyhow, I wish the roles were reversed. <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly from a real-life perspective, okay? Because what I wouldn't give to be 31 again versus 30 years your senior. couple minutes left, and I wanted to hit on the baseball because we did have four new inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Two Yankees, one of my favorite players of all time, in Mike Mussina and Mariano Rivera, respectively. Roy Holiday posthumously into the hall as well. And Edgar Martinez, the DH 
ladies and gentlemen, gets his due at that position. Very interesting that the best DH, arguably, of all time, the best closer, arguably, of all time, both get into the same year, blah, blah, blah. My question to you is, though, regarding the unanimous vote for Mariano Rivera, I'm thrilled that it happened this way, and there wasn't those one or two outliers that wanted to look up to the clouds and say, if Babe Ruth wasn't in unanimously, why should this guy or anyone else, those purists, how the, whether or not the stories are true that some of the writers got scared into voting for Rivera because they didn't want to get publicly shamed on social media, regardless of that, Mariano Rivera on the field, the best closer of all time, five-time World Series champion, I don't have to continue to go on, but to the game itself, one of the kindest men of baseball history, someone that would do anything not only for his fellow players, but for members of the media, fans, if a pitcher ever wanted to learn his cutter, he would sit with you and show you that pitch until your fingers had blisters and got it correctly. Just the perfect everything for somebody that you would want in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I couldn't be happier for him and for the sport that he was unanimous. He got in. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. The arguments are done, and we get to move on from that. Obviously, I'd love to hear what you had to say about the four getting in and the unanimous decision for the first time that we've seen. Well, let's start there. Um, you know, being, you know, the old get off your lawn guy, you know, uh, how is Ruth not unanimous? How is uh, Cobb not unanimous? How is the greatest player of my lifetime? I think anyway, Willie Mays, uh, with all due respect to Hank Aaron, you know, I, I think Willie Mays is the greatest player of my, during my lifetime. How is he not unanimous? Um, but, and I do, believe that some writers with social media and uh, the impact of not voting for Mariano uh, could have been very difficult uh, if their votes were exposed and uh, the public was aware of it. But it is the right guy. Even though relief pitching is obviously a clear specialty, uh, his numbers are, and his career uh, has been so iconic and so brilliant that I really don't have a, pro a, a problem because how would you not vote for him? What's your explanation for not voting for him? Now, the fact that the other guys, there's no explanation for not voting for them, doesn't excuse an explanation that is not there for not voting for this guy. Because there is no explanation for not voting for Mariano Rivera. It's a slam dunk, absolutely positively 100%, in every way, shape, or form, a Hall of Fame. And even though I hate to, hate to have a, a relief pitcher be the guy, I think that's the thing that bothers me more than anything else, is it's a relief pitcher versus a player. And there have been players and, and starting pitchers before him, uh, who certainly were deserving of being 100%. Uh, Tom Seaver was one of the highest vote getters of all time. Um, Ken Griffey before this, but I, I believe Tom Seaver should have been more 100% than Ken Griffey Jr. I think his career was better. But Mariana's no doubt. So I have no problem with it. I thought I would, but the more I thought about it, uh, I don't. And, and I think it's, it's right. I'm cool with it. He is in every way, shape, or form, a Hall of Famer on the field, 
in the locker room to the press, the media. He's never treated anybody other than with, with class and dignity. And I, I think that really put the 100% scenario over the top because you just never heard anybody say a bad thing about him. And I think that also, you know, that, that goes a long way here. You know, there isn't that one guy who had a bone to pick. There isn't that one guy he pissed off. There isn't that one guy, you know, who he didn't talk to or uh, turned a shoulder to. Uh, that there isn't the guy in the press who never has got a bad thing to say about him. So, you know, I, I think it's what he came out the way it was supposed to. I, and I as for the other, the other guys, you know, um, I am a hard marker. I believe in a small hall. But as time has gone on, with certain guys, I have gotten a little more open-minded. And Mussini is one of those guys. Mussini is clearly one of those guys. I've watched him come up. Uh, I think that Mussina, uh, even though his numbers aren't gaudy in terms of the ERA, you know where he pitched. You know, you know who he pitched against. You know the ballparks he pitched in, and you know when he pitched. So when you take all that in consideration and the number of games over 500, finished his career at 20 wins in his final season, the only guy ever to retire after 21 season in history, um, and could have kept pitching and, and gotten to 300, didn't. Hung it up at 270, and clearly with plenty left in the tank. Uh, I had no problem with Mussina. Yeah, and that's the thing with the Baseball Hall of Fame. There's so much to just pick apart that again, and this will be good for when we have that downtime in the sports season. Maybe we can bring up a couple of these subjects and objects up just to uh, and and, and maybe maybe after Super Bowl Sunday is come and gone, Harper and Machado might finally sign somewhere. Yeah, that's something we can look forward to. So at least exactly. Have that. Al, it's always a pleasure. And like you said, I don't think we'll see that by next week's show. Macharper, Machado, and Harper signing with their respective clubs. But you know what? We'll have plenty to talk about next week after Super Bowl 53. Yeah, we got that football game to talk about. So, folks, enjoy your Super Bowl. Uh, everybody enjoy their parties. And remember, the kid is going with the old squad. And the old guy is going with the young squad. Until next time, for John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato with here from White Plains. Enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.